Hey, thank you for listening to another episode of the Average Fails Podcast. I'm your host, Zodi Zach. This episode, I get to chat with my sister-in-law, Katrina, and we get to uh, talk about Justice Debate League, a nonprofit that she uh, is a part of. We also get to talk about uh, one of her true passions, which is the skill of debate. Uh, we also get to talk about some more hot topics, uh, things that I think more relevant to today's time, uh, such as prison reform. Uh, we had a good conversation. It was great to catch up. And yeah, it was just a good episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you. If you're looking for the most amazing podcast ever, well, this isn't it. You're listening to The Average Fellas Podcast, guaranteed to let you down and leave you unsatisfied. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, welcome to another episode of the Average Fellows Podcast. Woo! This is, uh, yeah, it's great to be here. It's great to be recording an episode. I got an awesome guest today. Uh, really excited for the show. Just uh, super stoked. Um, real quick, guys, I just want to get in some numbers really fast before we uh, bring the guest on. Um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you guys so much. We uh, reached the 500 mark, so over 500 downloads. Thank you guys so much. About two and a half months into the production of this uh, this podcast. So I just want to say thank you guys so much for participating. Uh, if you guys are sharing or you know doing all the sub subbing and all that stuff, um, thank you so much. I just want to say uh, shout out to you guys, the listeners. Um, yeah, once again, you guys can catch us on all the uh, popular uh, podcast platforms, uh, all of them, wherever, I mean, Google, Apple, you name it, we're on them. You can always email us at averagefellas at gmail.com, averagefellas at gmail.com. If you guys want to, you know, um, chat me up or something, uh, shoot me an email, tell me what you think about the show. Uh, maybe you have a cool idea for the show. Shoot me an email. Uh, I'd love to hear it. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's uh let's get into it. Uh, so my my guest today is um is my sister in law. So that's all. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, that's a really cool thing to bring some some new family onto the show. Um, but also she is a director of a nonprofit, and um, I really I'm really excited to explore um some of the topics that we're gonna talk about today with her. Um, so without any further ado, I give you guys my sister-in-law, Katrina. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm so good. How are you, Zach? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for, thank you for asking. Oh man, this is exciting. Oof. I just got to get my nerves out real quick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I mean, like, I feel like there's people have like people have been on the podcast and like, I want to bring some sort of like official, like, um, like, uh, just like, I guess tone to the podcast, but I'm such a jokester that it's very rare that I, you know, get a, a guest like you on the show that we can talk about some, uh, some really cool topics today. And I'm really excited for it because, um, yeah, it just, uh, yeah, super excited just to have you here. You know, I mean, most of the people are my friends and like, I get into like some of their jobs and stuff. And so, um, this one I was just really excited for. So 
Anyways, enough of that. I, I like to think that I'm also your friend. <laughs> yes, you are. You are my friend. Yes. <laughs> Sweet. Cool. Um, you actually went to my wedding. <laughs> yeah, I did. You were one of the few. That's uh, yeah. actually it's surprising. I'm actually, I have had like pretty much like half the wedding party on the show already. So all right. All <laughs> just right. Try to get the rest of them on this is the next, yeah. the next step. Cause I mean, there's only like what, 25 of us or something. So anyways, <laughs> yeah. After you do your wedding, you can do our wedding. There you go. <laughs> Mine and James's. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. I mean, if you guys want to catch up with everybody, we could record everything, put a little book together, a little audio catch up for you guys. Oh my god. Okay. Like, maybe that could be a new wedding thing. Maybe they're into that. Like an audio guest book. Ooh. I don't know. Anyways, um, so yeah, what's new? What's going on with you? Well, I'm just coming out of a class. I'm taking a class through U of I right now, the University of Illinois, uh, called Carceral Landscapes. Ooh. And we just read a book this last week that absolutely blew my mind. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like a pretty interesting class. There's, I mean, especially, I don't know. It just it just sounds like. I mean, can you give me like a like a simple like two sentence thing about the class, maybe? Yeah, it's basically studying prisons and the construction of prisons and where they're located from a variety of different disciplines. Oh my god! So, yeah, psychology criminal justice, philosophy, sociology, and um, most recently we read the book called The Color of Law, which looks at housing and legal housing discrimination in the United States federal government and local governments throughout history, explaining the segregation of neighborhoods. Um, So it's been so learning and I'm really glad I'm in the class. Man, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I know my wife and I are like going through a book right now called The Color Compromise. I actually have my book club tonight. And oh my gosh, some of the stuff they explore in that book, like that you you bring up. I just I don't say that as in like a fun thing, but like um but some of the you know, they talk about some of the housing um situations and um I'm I'm very curious to even follow that even further. So it sounds like um yeah, just a, it's just as a kind of an eye opener. You know, you you learn history one way. You know. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. This is all. St- it's a whole book full of stuff that was just never touched on in my entire public education growing up, and I'm a little mad about it. Yeah. You should absolutely read this next. It also talks about the church's support of segregation in housing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it would supplement well the color of compromise. Definitely. I'll definitely have to take a look at that. Um, anyways, um, you know, I, I, this is all, obviously these are all leading to the, um, to the meat and potatoes of this, of this episode. Um, but, uh, so question, you are someone who is interested in the skill of debate. Is that right? It's true. Guilty. Okay. <laughs> Guilty. And, could you, could you explain I know like a maybe like in a nutshell what what that means as far as like you know the the very fundamental skill of debate that I think maybe have been the foundation of like what you're building as far as a nonprofit is that right Yeah so competitive debate comes in a whole lot of different formats but 
the elements that all of the formats share is basically a, a verbal jousting between two sides. It can be two individuals or two partners or even up to four people on each side of the debate. And you choose a topic, um, typically def like a resolution. It could be anything about philosophy or uh, sociology or economics or politics, literally anything. And one side affirms the resolution and the other uh, tries to argue against it. So it's about learning to construct arguments, deliver them verbally, and then tear apart other people's arguments. Wow. See, I feel like I feel like that was something that like maybe I was naturally gifted at when it came to like uh, being a bully. That was probably yeah. one of my, probably one of my I mean, because it just sounds like I could I mean, obviously I'm saying I know that you, what you're talking about is a skill that is used like in a professional like, you know, system. And like there's actually like real, real, uh, you know, real things at stake when it comes to, mm -hmm. you know, some of the, the debate things that you're talking about. But um yeah, it's just, it seems like I didn't know that there was, I didn't ever know there was a practice of argument almost. Um, but then I, I seen that kind of growing up with maybe like in like some Christian like philosophy stuff that I'd seen, you know, like they always debate like atheists and stuff. But I didn't necessarily know that there was a bigger community that was like debating other things. <laughs> Obviously, it was, yeah. you know, it wasn't something that was like in the for like, around it wasn't in a, something that was introduced into my environment so I didn't really know that that was out there but um it's it yeah like there's there's a lot of us uh I mean really we're just a, a pretty nerdy group of uh mostly closeted nerds so <laughs> it's um we're, we're not like out there in the public trying to debate people we kind of keep to ourselves well it's funny that you you say that you're like a closeted nerd group or something, but like, um, is, is, um, I guess my brother-in-law, is that something that, you know, came up as a shared interest that maybe you guys kind of like bonded over? Is that, was that a, Oh my goodness. That's how we met. Oh my gosh. You guys met in debate. It's even more adorable than that. No, we met because he started volunteering for my nonprofit. Oh my God. That is so cute. Oh my God. What a teddy bear. Isn't it? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Can yeah, this, he's can, the best. Can this guy be any more of a teddy bear? It's National Teddy Bear Day today, if you didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, so. Happy Teddy Bear Day. Yeah, give him a hug. He's obviously a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely will. Such a good guy. Um, so, yeah, you guys met over this shared interest in, like, in, in debate, right? And I, um, it's, I mean, I know like when I first met my, my brother-in-law, he'd bring up the topic of like competitive forensics, you know, mm -hmm. is that, what is, is, is that something that's like, um, can you explain that a little more? Give me a little more detail on that as far as like, what does that mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's basically competitive talking. So debate is something that falls under the umbrella of competitive forensics these most often happen at the high school or college level. Mm -hmm. um, so you can, you can participate in any kind of format of debate, uh, but there's also speech competitions. And that can be anything from oratory to extemporaneous speaking to informative speaking to um, like an after dinner 
kind of speech. Um, so there's actually dozens of different kinds of speeches that you can compete with. And then people watch you perform your speeches and, and uh, you compete against other people in debates and, you know, it's like any sports tournament, really. You compete against other people, and mm. when you lose, you drop out, and the last man standing wins. What What was it that was? Uh, what really sparked your interest in it, in this kind of, you know, competitive, I guess, you know, thing? Um, I just thought it would be cool to try. I walked on to my team oh in my college. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was just uh, something I was like, hey, I'm not very good at speaking to people. This seems like I would learn a lot of valuable skills. And so I I joined the debate team when I transferred into Wheaton College. Wow, that's cool. It's just, and so from there, is that kind of like what's sort of, has that turned into like something that like, I know it's now a passion of yours cause you're obviously doing, you know, you're obviously, you've obviously, you know, work with a nonprofit that, you know, is seeking to, you know, promote and provide these skills. Right. Um, mm -hmm. what was there a time like in your life where it went from just like a, maybe like it was just a fun thing to try to learn new skills to where you're like, wait, maybe I can actually do something with this. Is there a, was there a moment like that that you thought maybe? Yeah, actually, it was after I graduated from college, and I read the book, What Color Is Your Parachute? It is, like, ranked the number one best job search book, and it has been for, like, the last 40 years. They've come out with a new revision every year for, like, the last 20 years. It's, I don't know, a big deal, and if you're trying to change career paths or figure out where you're best suited in the job world, 10 out of 10 would recommend. It's amazing. So I, I worked my way through this book and got to the end of it, and a lot of it is just like a self-discovery. And so um, you kind of do exercises that the book encourages you to walk through to kind of pull these answers out of yourself and your past and your identity. And so I got to the end of the book and was like, oh my goodness, I would be best suited as a debate coach amongst a marginalized population. So I, I was like, that, that feels really right. I want to do that. <laughs> so I started doing that. Wow. That's, so that, that leads me to my next question. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously this passion obviously has led to, like you said, like the discovery of like this, you know, what, what we're talking about, like, you know, using these skills and, you know, sharing them with marginalized people groups and trying to educate them and giving them a skill where they could, you know, do something for themselves. Um, so what is, um, what is your nonprofit and what is its purpose? So I run the Justice Debate League. It is a nonprofit that coaches debate teams in prisons across the United States. And the goal is basically to welcome incarcerated people into this closeted nerd group. So, and okay. So but I think that is amazing because usually, you know, I've had family members that are incarcerated, that have been incarcerated before, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that is a topic of debate today is like, what, well, what about people that, you know, prison doesn't teach people 
how to succeed in life or to succeed outside of prison. It just it's just a place for them to waste time, kind of. And then they are put in a situation where they come back to society without a valuable skill to use to be successful, right? Maybe I think, I mean, I've seen, I've heard that story a lot. And I mean, you know, I've also had family members that have, you know, shared some of that sentiment. But um, is, would you say, is it, was that one of those things that you wish to like, um, you know, serve with your passion of debate, like that sort of story, I guess, if that makes sense? Yeah, my my initial goal, I would say, was um, I started in youth prisons uh, because we keep hundreds of children locked in cages here in right. Illinois, and uh, Illinois is not alone. Um, but I I was living like right down the street from a youth prison that kept girls and boys. Um, also, the first time I learned that they had co-ed facilities anywhere. Yeah, that's I, I thought I too. Yeah, yeah. Um, But started working with these kids. A lot of them were around high school age. And pretty quickly, it became clear that um, the best thing that these kids could have is hope for a better future. And so I not only worked to incorporate them into the debate community, the high school debate community around Chicago, but also tried to introduce them to people at higher institutions of higher education and get them open to the idea of continuing to compete in debate at that level and thinking about um, continuing with their education after finishing their GED in prison. That is uh, that's very interesting because I, I, I definitely, you know, I believe that that is a that would do a world of a difference. And it is doing a world of a difference already because like, you know, if if students I did student ministry for a long time with Front Church I was a youth pastor for a while. So I did uh, I did interact with students and it's just one of those things where, like, you know, you want to you see um, the world around you and you just, you know, you see how how young they are and you just want them to have the best. You don't want them to suffer the same future that maybe some of the things that you've gone through or that you've seen other people go through. And so it's like, it is, is important that like, you know, like you said, you start off in youth, like a youth demographic, high school students. And, um, you know, I think I really just would, maybe that's probably something that we need to do. If there's people working with youth, thank them and like, you know, continue to support them because, you know, those kids are the future. They're the next people to reach the, you know, to be employed in our job market after they graduate high school or continue higher learning, you know? So, um, you know, I'm definitely excited for, to hear that. Um, but so you've started in high school, you said the high school age demographic, and then you worked into some of the colleges. What's the future look like for that? For, is that also moving into adult facilities or? Well, yeah, I, I was only in the youth facility for about the first six months, and then I actually started coaching an additional team in an adult maximum uh, maximum security facility. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, you're so cool! <laughs> shucks, uh, that was a little bit farther away, but um, you know, absolutely worth the drive. I feel like I learned so much every time I was in there. But then, yeah, the goal with them changed a little bit um, because it was a maximum security facility, and that often means that people are in there for pretty um, 
rough crimes, I I got to meet my class for the first time and found very, very quickly that none of them were going to be released ever. They were all expected to die in prison. And so um, that's not... <laughs> That's not an environment where you can really encourage people to, you know, use these communication skills or these argumentation skills or empathy or writing or critical thinking or whatever um, after they get out to get into college or to, you know, access um, scholarships through a college debate team. It's like this is this is where you are and this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life. So how can we make this a program that will benefit you in the space where you're at? That is such a uh, different way to look at uh, incarceration because I didn't even, I did sometimes I wouldn't even consider those kinds of ideas. I wouldn't even go that far in my thought is a lot of oversight when it comes to incarcerated people, you know, as far as like, like you said, like you can't, like, how do you teach, how do you, you know, use empathy when these people are going to be locked away for the rest of your life and you're trying to like, what, what motivation do they have to learn this? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, man, I, I, I get, I understand, I feel like it's, um, yeah, it's just one of those things, like I said, like a lot of oversights have gone and kind of gone over these certain groups of people, incarcer- incarcerated people. I, I I, don't know. I think today it's like one of the things we had like this whole entire coronavirus um, situation happen where I mean, I didn't even know what that looks like for most prisoners, for most people that are incarcerated. Um, is there some of those things that you could maybe you could speak on that maybe you're dealing with that you've noticed because of the coronavirus situation? Obviously, I know you're closer to that kind of, you know, environment. Yeah. yeah, it's horrendous and people are terrified and they're making the psychological situation inside prisons even worse. In Illinois, we haven't allowed any visitors or volunteers in any prison since March 14th. So people haven't seen their family members. People haven't had any of the regular programming that they would have had access to, like a debate program. And most prisons, at least in Illinois, are reporting that they have people on lockdown almost constantly. So that means, depending on the facility, that you get out to go to the yard once once a day for up to an hour or uh, once every three weeks. Uh, just depending on how the facility decides to operate things. Um, So people are really missing their families. Prison already takes a pretty big psychological toll. And now we've had um, over a dozen people in Illinois prisons die from COVID. And people are terrified that their family members are passing and they're not getting to say goodbye to them or see them again. Um, but this has also added a really interesting look into why it might be good to continue, um, like, working toward the rehabilitation of people who are even sentenced to life or have very long sentences, because now for the first time in a a long time, 
we are very seriously considering and actively releasing a whole bunch of people who are older because they're at risk for COVID, at risk mm -hmm. for dying from COVID, and they, um, they've served like 40 years of their sentence or whatever, and so uh, they're now being released so that they don't die, so that they don't spread the virus, um, and, and now they're going back to their communities when we never expected that to happen. Yeah. And you, yeah. Didn't, you didn't have a chance to, like, I mean, like obviously there wasn't, that's why we need programs and, you know, like obviously like yours, like nonprofits like yours, because, you know, obviously the ultimately what we want to do is serve these people in a way. I always think this, this is one of my thoughts. I don't know if you, maybe this rings, maybe this, I don't know, maybe you could share this, idea okay um <clears throat> i always feel i so there's a thought that like um some i feel like there are some people that uh maybe their real life reality what they've experienced in life has never presented the opportunity to have access or learn or have knowledge of something uh a skill or maybe even a, a, a life path that would provide them uh, a way to stay out of prison um, mm -hmm. or to stay, you know, away from certain, you know, crimes. Cause I think certain environments, obviously um, where certain environments produce uh, certain crimes because, you know, the lack of um, opportunity maybe, or, you know, or even exposure to something like exposure to debate the skill, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, so for me, it's one of these things that I, I, I see a desperate need for is obviously like, you know, like you talking about, like reaching these kids at a younger age and, and showing them that there is a opportunity for them, that there is another way. And um, I know this is such a, like a, I think like a shallow argument because I'm sure everybody says this, um, but, you know, it's true about like rehabilitation, like what services are we offering to change, not just the, because we want to change the physical um, I don't know the physical actions of somebody, but we, we don't ever do anything to change their heart or their mind or how they think. Right. So for me, I feel like there's, it's necessary for us to do these types of things because that's what rehabilitation is. Now we're able to let people, we're letting people out to save their lives, but we did nothing to rehabilitate their, maybe their heart and mind. You know, we didn't give mm -hmm. them an, an, another way, you know? So I don't know if that's a thought that maybe you share or if that's sort of like, yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and, and most prisons today or departments of corrections say that rehabilitation is a core part of what they're trying to do. And that's not been more than talk in any, any department that I've uh, come into contact with. Does Illinois have, is that privatized prison that they have there or is there both? No, Illinois doesn't have private prisons, thank goodness. Um, but, I mean, if you know anything about the state of Illinois, our, our politics are, are quite messed up. So having it run by uh, our politicians isn't really a great situation anyway. Yeah, tell me about it. I don't know. It's just crazy. I there's so many like, I don't know what you. It's hard to even put your finger on certain politics now because you're just like I don't even 
there's just so much backstory that you have to be you have to know now in order to make a decision currently and i'm like i just what what do i you know yeah. How do I make a decision if I don't know everybody's past 20 years, you know? So yeah, a little, little diff. I understand what you're saying. It's kind of, it's just a strange thing, but, um, um, do you feel that, uh, prison reform is necessary? I, I guess that's I would, such a general question, but, um, I think just to kind of make it plain, do you feel that prison reform is necessary? I would say prison reform is a very tame word for what I think is necessary. And so, well, I mean, like, obviously you've been more, you've been exposed to more of these things that these, you know, situations that these people face and you're obviously more aware of what's happening. Um, Is it, has it, for someone like me, myself, I, like I said, I have had, family members that have, you know, been incarcerated and stuff. I've never been in trouble with the law or anything like that, but I've always given it sort of like a backseat to any issue. Like, Oh, they're just prisoners. You know, um, mm-hmm. I've now I'm trying to like, I want to understand more of these certain concepts that maybe I wrote off. You know, I also did that with like some other, other people groups, not just incarcerated people, but you know, um, can you speak to maybe the, those people that uh, maybe share have shared that same sentiment that, you know, they're just prisoners. They're just incarcerated people. Like um, what would you tell, could you maybe some something up that would, you know, I guess in their defense of these incarcerated people? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the number one thing that, opens individuals eyes to the humanity of another is proximity so I don't think I fully realized the humanity of people who are incarcerated until I was in there shaking hands with them and learning alongside of them I I think that prisons are typically intentionally removed from urban hubs and uh, taken away from the sight of most people because it it is intentionally out of sight and out of mind. Um, most people don't have a prison as a part of their uh, daily life experience, um, don't live near one, don't have to think about one. And so I think um, the m- main driving factor for why people can feel that way and why I spent most of my life feeling that way is just the fact that we we literally put them away and then we don't have to think about it yeah it's a part of like a it's a it's like it goes back to like being a part of the culture right i think it's like a part that's like maybe sort of like it's in our culture to just set them and forget them kind of like Mm -hmm. you know oh well you know and some of the jokes that are even in popular like media is just like oh well dad's not here he'll be back next Christmas. Like those are the jokes, you know, so-and-so's mm-hmm. in and out of jail and stuff like that. Um, and it kind of got me, that's kind of why I was really why I'm excited just because there's some of those things that I've, that I've dealt with that I've, I am dealing with that I'm kind of like ex- been, ex- I'm exposing myself of, you know, because I, it's like in the, the book, the color compromise, one of the author says he actually quotes, I think, uh, I think he's quoted Martin Luther King. And he says that racism has to be exposed. It's like a wound 
that's festering and it needs to be exposed to, you know, to the air to allow it to dry out, to heal. And, um, you know, I know like it's maybe, you know, like prison reform is one of these things for me that, like I said, like, it's just a cultural, you know, jokes that we make that we just, whatever, it's not in the forefront. It's not something that we even, I mean, I don't really ever, except for when a family member of mine was dealing with it, you know, and even when they were going through being incarcerated, you know, my mind wasn't there. My heart, my compassion for the situation wasn't there. Whether or not, you know, this person deserves the justice that they dealt with, you know, uh, as a Christian, I know, like I've, I failed one of the things that Christ told us to be responsible for. And that's obviously for people that are in prison, you know, widows, orphans. And, um, so one of these things, I guess now it's like, for me, it's like, I want, I'm not trying to go back and right my wrongs. I just want to educate myself and understand how I can, you know, participate to provide something of a future for certain people, you know, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, what are, what are some common misconceptions surrounding prison reform? Because I feel like some people are hearing this and maybe they're just like, Oh my God, they're going to let everybody out. Oh my God. There's murders on the streets. And I'm like, you know, I've never, I, you know, I actually worked for a company that hired ex, you know, ex, um, you know, incarcerated people, I guess, I don't know. I want to say it, but, and it was funny is that, um, some of the stories they would tell just, I didn't understand it. You know, I didn't get it. There was misconceptions I had about prison and stuff. And, um, so maybe there's something like you can, maybe you can shed some light on that. Cause for me, you know, there's certain, I guess people that have been incarcerated, they have their, you know, their, uh, what's it called? It's like people in this, like in the military, they have a bond, they have a, a mm-hmm. shared experience. And, uh, that's one thing that I got to see a little bit when I was working with some of these people. Um, so maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about some of the misconceptions because I didn't, none of these people are good people. Like they're working hard trying to get a job, you know, and the misconception is that yeah. they're out here releasing prisoners. And I was like, um, I mean, I worked with them, you know, I've, I held the same yeah. job as them and they did it just as fine as I did, you know? So anyways, can you talk about that a little yeah. bit? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think the main thing to, uh, there are 17 main things. One of them is that uh, when you're thinking about how murderers are going to be released on the streets, you have to first acknowledge that there are way more murderers out in the streets than there are in prisons right now. At least in Chicago, the clearance rate for a murder in um, for for detectives to actually find the person who committed it is forty percent. So if we successfully arrest forty percent, then there are sixty percent of the people who have committed murder who are still on the streets, and the numbers are far worse when it comes to sexual assault and other violent crimes. So. We, we have people in prison who have done very bad things, and we have people living in our communities who have done equally as bad and worse things. Um, we just haven't legally found them and charged them with that crime. Um, the other thing is, 
in my experience, especially when people are sentenced for a long period of time, so usually if they have uh, served time for what qualifies as a violent crime, um, they have spent so much time in prison that uh, the norm for that experience is to rehabilitate yourself in that time and convince yourself that there is no way you are ever coming back here, that you need to be a new person and you need to um, you need to find a way to make a new life for yourself. So the people who have committed violent crimes in the past are very, very unlikely to commit violent crimes again in the future. There are people who have been formerly incarcerated who then go on to commit violent crimes, but much more frequently it's actually people who are incarcerated for lower level crimes initially that then get sentenced um, for harsher crimes later on. So if someone has already been convicted of and serves time for a crime that you might be afraid of, the chances are that they, they have spent good time working on themselves and figuring out how they're going to succeed in society when they come out. That has been my experience. I'm confident there are exceptions, but um, I think that's, that's the best rule of thumb to have when considering that. Yeah, I, I, um, sometimes I think like, um, you ever, I mean, I watched, I've watched, obviously I watched a lot of prison movies in my day. So obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they're, uh, you know, I've, I obviously, uh, this is just very ignorant of me because I'm just talking about my examples from movies, obviously, but are there like, are there like, um, typical, like, um, things that are very typical, uh, for incarcerated people like abuses that they deal with that maybe um maybe non-incarcerated americans should be aware of things that are like you know because like in the movies this is one thing i always see is that you got to be ready to be prepared to get shanked all the time like and there's always like these you know certain ideas that we have about how prison life is but i'm sure there's some things that we weren't you know some things that we aren't aware of you know maybe there's some more subtle maybe abuses that these people deal with that we should be more aware of? I think no one in prison has the exact same experience. So I'm sure there are prisons where the violence rates are very high and where um, there's gang violence and where you would need to be um, on the lookout for things like that. But with the people that I've interacted with and met, um, man, they're just not at all people that I'm afraid to be around. They're, they are safer and kinder and gentler than most men I meet on the street. So I, um, I don't think it should be assumed that anyone has had that kind of experience in prison. Yeah. No, you should probably well, just ask that exactly right exactly because i what i mean once again it just goes back to like the ignorance of me just like think basing everything off of the movies i've seen you know so uh, uh this is the average fellas podcast so we don't yeah very high, okay yeah okay <laughs> um so yeah um once again um 
it just thank you for thank you for sharing these things with us i know like i wish i was a better orator like a better like host person but i'm getting there i think i'm getting better um it just uh, a topic like this i know would be better served with somebody who is a little bit more uh, aware of the situation but like I said myself, I'm trying to discover and learn myself. So it is, you know, there's some rough patches that I'm going to go through. But, um, you know, eventually we're going to get through this interview and we're going to get get the, the message out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and for the record, I think you're doing excellently. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, um, so as far as uh, JDL, um, what is what uh what is the hope what is the the ultimate hope for what does success look like for your program in regards to a a a non-incarcerated person and a maybe like a pre-incarcerated someone who i guess a demographic person who falls in that category of at risk um Mm -hmm. you know like reaching them before and then obviously reaching an incarcerated person or working with somebody what ultimately is like the the goal or hope for those, those, those people. So we don't deal at all with people who are in at risk populations. There are other debate leagues that do that kind of thing, but um, unfortunately we don't have the capacity for that. The, the hope for incarcerated teens and individuals is that it would give them hope and allow them to operate and compete within the existing competitive debate structures, um, both so that the, the nerds of the world who are thinking really critically about these kinds of issues can interact with and debate people who are being directly impacted by a lot of the debates that we're actually having. Yeah. And, um, and also so that the people who are incarcerated can gain confidence in themselves and yeah, their communication abilities. And um, yeah, I can't really think of a, a better skill set than effective persuasion and communication that uh, for someone who's about to come out into the world and face a whole bunch of barriers, legal and perceived and otherwise. Um, in trying to get a job and trying to access housing. So hopefully it's something that sets up people for success in whatever the rest of their life may look like. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, for me, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but I heard this story too, that um, there's another, I've heard of another nonprofit teaching prisoners coding as well. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just like, man, these ideas are so great. Cause like, I imagine like these, I mean, these are very capable people. We're not talking about like somebody that's in prison that, you know, I don't know. Once again, it goes back to the movies is always just like, you know, gangbangers and cholos in prison or something like that. You know, like it's always like a low mm-hmm. level, um, you know, um, just like uh, thought process that they demonstrate in like a lot of, you know, popular media um, for prisoners yeah. in general the idea is that they're just not smart the idea is that they're just you know low life people who doesn't who can't have a thought beyond whatever crime is or something and it's sad that that's demonstrated that it, that's what we portray you know in our in our culture and our media obviously um but 
you know, this, I just thought, you know, think about these things, think about thinking about, uh, you know, people using a skill and I would just, cause you can imagine like the creativity, um, of some of these individuals that use undiscovered untapped potential that they never were exposed or able to use, um, you know, and by providing something like, you know, debate or even coding, whatever it may be, um, those, those, those things. It's just like, I, it's kind of one of those, I guess it's just like, it's a, it's a, what are the possibilities, you know, like for humanity, if this is something that you can give them, you know, what are the possibilities for, I mean, this per, these people, like you said, like you can't, what are you going to do to motivate them? Right. What are you going to, what are you going to do to motivate a person serving life in prison? Like, and so it's not like you can go in there and be like, Hey, let me teach you something that's going to really improve your life now. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. to them, you're like to them, it's, it's, it's probably like whatever, dude, like I'm here for life. And, but you know, being able to sit down and be patient and, and and teach them a skill that doesn't just happen overnight. You know, they have to sort of adopt it for their own. They have to take it for their own. Um, and if you're an incarcerated person and you, you know, you want to learn that skill and you put yourself, you know, to, you apply yourself to learn it. Like, you know, it, that demonstrates that that person now has their own interests. Like I didn't feed it to them to forcibly make them learn this, but, um, I think it's like, I guess it's like children. Um, like you, I guess, you know, if you ever, if you ever see children like play, you don't teach them these bad habits. They, they just learn sometimes, but you also don't teach them like what to be interested in. And then they learn what they like, you know, like you, you can put something in front of them, but a lot of like my wife tells me this all the time. Don't, you know, I, I'm really interested in showing my kids like every movie possible. And she's like, but our kids aren't going to like what you like. You need to be aware of that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know? And I feel like a lot of times a prison, when you talk about prisoners or you talk about like prison reform and stuff, people are like, well, we need to do it a certain way. We need to do it this way. They shouldn't have any activities. They shouldn't have any way to learn or to read. They should, they should just sit in a box and whatever, that's it. And, uh, I feel like this is like, it's a missed opportunity for the betterment of all of us. You know, like as a, you know, prison are doing these sorts of things, like teaching a new skill to these people, it only benefits us because what happens if the next idea that, you know, changes the way the world works comes from one of these incarcerated people that we just forgot about, you know, we just whatever they're, you know, when you talk about connecting the humanity, I think that's what it is for me. I'm what's been really kind of connecting me back to it. We talk about like George Floyd or any of these types of situations with black lives matter. What connects me back to the humanity is that there was a missed opportunity in that person's life. You know, there was a missed, there was a missed opportunity to harness the power of whatever creativity that life could, could put together, you know, Um, and I don't care how people like split their, their views on, on, on those things, because personally, I just think it's, it's a tragedy that these things happen. You know, when they talk about marginalized people groups, you know, like the least of these is what the Bible tells us to care about. The Bible tells us to care about the least of these. And I, I, you know, for me, I make Bible references because I've grown up in church my entire life. So, um, my outlook on life always has a, a, a biblical shade to it, you know, and I think about the least of these, and these are people who are forgotten. These are people who are just, they're nobodies. Like, why would I care about George Floyd? Why would I care about prisoners? 
why would I, why should I, why should I have any like little care or thought for them? Because they're, they're a dime a dozen is the attitude towards these people, these types mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, of, of individuals who suffer these, these things. And I thought, wow, like, man, this is, it's why it's important for me to have you on the show, you know, cause I want to reach that point to where I see the humanity and I don't lose the humanity in looking at what's happening out there, you know? Um, so yeah, just, it gives me hope that there's, you know, programs like this obviously happening, you know, obviously, um, I know there's going to be more. I know there's obviously going to be like, I'll have more. I know there's a few people I'm going to have on in the future that are going to speak on some of these things that are going to be great. Um, but I think it's necessary for us to, to talk about it and not just sweep it under the rug. Like I have, you know, Mm -hmm. myself, I'm kind of putting that on myself, but, um, man, thank you so much for just sharing these things with me. Uh, I'm going to start crying. Watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, Thanks for having me on, Zach. Yeah, yeah I'm no, glad no, no. to share. Yeah, no problem. No, it's a, it's just it's a it's been it's been really good. Um, so as far as uh, J JDL, the Justice Debate League, I want to get that right. JDL, um, is there what um, is there where are some places uh, that maybe you can point the listeners to uh, maybe engage with uh, either Facebook or whatever it may be. So there's some places that uh, our listeners can find you guys, find more information to, um, you know, obviously more, learn more about this like myself. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we have a website, justicedebateleague.org. We also are on social media. We have both a Facebook and a Twitter However, those have not been very active recently. And honestly, right now, because of COVID, um, Illinois is not the only place that has shut down access to volunteers and educators and family members. Um, There's actually not a single prison in the country that I'm aware of that is hosting regular programming right now. So we haven't had a regular team operating since March. Wow. So we're working on the process of uh, trying to develop some courses by correspondence. And um, yeah, we're in a little bit of a reevaluation phase right now. Um, So yeah, any support or thoughts, you can reach out to us through our website. Um, I'll very much appreciate it. Definitely awesome. Yeah, no, I will definitely provide the links on on the, uh, obviously on the show when I post it and stuff. I'll provide the links for all you listeners out there. is there, um, I want to try to like start wrapping this up a little bit, but is there something that maybe any last words for, um, people, uh, people that, like I said, may, may just sweep this topic under the rug, may just, you know, whatever they're incarcerated people, maybe there's something you can last words that you can leave with them to consider, you know, maybe, you know, consider thinking about, you know, obviously this topic. And then is there any last words that you give to somebody who may be, um, possibly, uh, is there anything that you would say to those people who are, um, looking for an answer as far as like something like this, like where maybe they've, they are incarcerated. Maybe they are going through something. Um, what would you say to, I guess those people, I don't know. I want, I want to give you an opportunity just to kind of shout, shout out who you need to, but to really, um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Um, 
So I would say the most valuable connections that uh, people can have while they're incarcerated are with people on the outside. And the most valuable way for people on the outside to learn about people on the inside is to talk to them directly. So if you're someone who is being you know, exposed to this idea for the very first time and you don't really think about anyone who's in prison and you haven't, um, there are a whole bunch of different websites where you can just Google write a prisoner and you can become a pen pal with someone who's incarcerated and learn about them from, oh my gosh, it's your beautiful wife. <laughs> where the heck? Oh. <laughs> um, so you can, you can talk to someone and become proximate. What was that called? Um, write a prisoner. Dot com. Sure. Is that I, I don't actually know, but you can Google that yeah, and there Google will that. be five different sites because there, there's people all over the place that, uh, yeah, that helped facilitate really cool. this kind of thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they're also very sustaining connections for people who are incarcerated. So if you're incarcerated or if you are, um, you know, thinking you may become incarcerated, thinking about joining one of those programs to find a pen pal, I think would be also a really good way to um, to maintain connections on the outside. And um, if I can just throw in one last shout out for anyone else who is really getting into this for the first time, I'd say the the most widely read book on incarceration right now is probably Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. And it's very good, uh, but it's also very, very academic. So if you're going to be getting into this for the first time and you're not getting your PhD, <laughs> maybe um, the, the two books that I would recommend are Just Mercy, by Brian Stevenson, which also just came out as a movie, and uh, Rethinking Incarceration by Dominique Gilliard. It is, it does a really good job of kind of capturing what Michelle Alexander does, but in a, a little bit more of a palatable way for average fellows. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, it also looks at it from the perspective of the church, if that's a an angle that you're interested in looking at as well. Wow. No, definitely. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to Google some of those, some of those books. I have to. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, totally. Um, wow. Hey, I just want to, once again, I just want to say thank you so much for, uh, for joining the call and, uh, participating. Um, like I said, you know, this has just been a, a learning experience for me to dip my feet in the pool, you know, see what's going on and, uh, just trying to understand it because I don't want to, the last thing I want to do is make decisions on something I'm, you know, I don't know anything about. And I've, his, I've done that. I've jumped to a lot of conclusions. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just, I, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm glad that the, the listeners out there had an opportunity to, to hear you and to hear what, um, uh, about JDL and to hear about some of the prison reform ideas and stuff. And just this whole conversation was great. So, uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah. No, thanks cool. for having me on. Not a problem. Um, hey guys, that looks like that's going to be our episode for today. I am once again, 
uh, very thankful for my guest today. Uh, you guys know where to find us. We're on all the podcast platforms. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher, uh, all of them, Spotify, Apple, wherever you guys are listening to them, we're there. Uh, follow our Instagram and our Twitter guys. You can always catch up on our episodes that way too. Um, and our YouTube channel. So all those good things. Uh, thank you so much for listening and peace out guys. Laters.